Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to Food for Thought, a pod. Uh, oh my gosh. Wow. Woo! You guys are really. Okay, great. A podcast gab fest wherein a multiracial mix of queer writers gather around and people in tech and journalists and reporters um, who gather around, uh, <laughs> gather around the table to talk about sex, identity, culture, what we like to read and who we like to read, food for thought, an elaborate revenge plot against all of our exes. Yeah. Yes. Oh my Truly, God. Yes. All this is. Uh, ongoing. It's, uh, the payoff has has yet to be. Yeah. Jury's still out on that one. But, but we no, uh, um, we live for the petty. And yes, we really do. <laughs> when they come groveling to have us back in their lives, we're like, yes, uh, use me. Uh, <laughs> we are joined by the ineffable editor, ineffable editor in chief. I didn't even get it right on the second time. Editor-in-chief of Grinder, content extraordinaire, professional homosexual, one of the busiest people I know, so I have no idea why he's here. Um, Zach Stafford, thank you Hi. so much. Thank you for having um, me. To be to being our honorary Zad today. Um, pronounce, Always. Pronounce I feel like I've been Zad for you guys for a while now. You really have, have. been. So very like behind the scenes, like behind pulling the strings, she is making beauty, it work. Grace, yeah. If y'all don't know, you're how- like the you're like the wizard. <laughs> <laughs> If y'all don't know why we're all like, besides being friends, but uh, Food for Thought last season was played in Grinder every week, every, every Sunday, every week, yeah, pushed down to every Grinder user. We have forty million people, so yeah, yeah. Woo! So Not yeah, visual. you're the Zad. Um, <laughs> the Zad. And we're so glad to have you here. And um, on today's menu, we're gonna play a quick a game of swipe right and swipe left. Zach is going to tell us an impure thought story that he will later regret, and then he will never be able to run for office. And um, and then in our thought process, we will discuss what it means to convene a safe space, and if that's even a thing. And for dessert, um, we're going to talk about what's in vogue right now. So, to start us off... Um, we're going to play Swipe Right, Swipe Left. If you've never heard of the game Swipe Right, Swipe Left, it's pretty intuitive. Mm-hmm. Swipe Right, Swipe Left, uh, the new Robin track, Missing You. Have swipe you Right. It's so good. It's so good. It's so fucking... Have you, Dennis, is like, who is Robin? <laughs> <laughs> I've never um, heard of this artist. <laughs> I had every intention of listening to it on my train today, <laughs> but I had to conserve phone battery power. Um, but I do love Robin. I love her hair. I love her dance moves. So I'm sure that when I do finally listen to it in approximately four years, I will swipe right. Swipe right, swipe left. Genital piercings. Swipe left. Oh, wait, 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 wait. For ourselves or for others? Up to you. You tell me. <laughs> for myself, left. For others, right. I will say the same. I encourage whatever it is you do with yes. your body. However, I, ha- I have this dangly earring, and I have an, an, a horrible fear that it's going to be ripped from my ear mm-hmm. at any moment. So I don't know what I yeah. would do um, if yeah. I had it on my... 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go right ahead and say I hate needles. So I'm swiping <laughs> left for me. Um, a no-go. And I really want to swipe right on the possibility of getting fucked by someone with one. Hmm. But I cannot get the idea that it would somehow get lodged inside me out of my head. That's my I that's can't my get that thing. out of my head. Do you think it does it add a sensational? Well, it's quality? supposed to add a sensation, but I always worry about like condom usage. I know that people too. don't use condoms yeah, anymore. Mm-hmm. That too. Crap, and this is not a, I'm not that's a great thing for certain people. Yes, it's great. Um, but like I'm afraid it's gonna rip it. Or yeah. rip you or rip something. I mean, I would be like, this is a great excuse not to use a condom. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I know myself. But, like, is it going to rip me? Yeah. I... So, um, what I'm about um, Mamma Mia 2? <gasps> wow, some people in the audience feel very strongly about Mamma Mia 2. I have not seen it. <laughs> However, I've seen Mamma Mia 1 and... I was blown away by the the excellence of that film. Um, so I'll just swipe right preemptively on Mamma Mia 2. Same. I haven't seen the new oh one. Oh, my God. Wow. But I like the first one. I'm down. <laughs> Dennis is like, really? I got to be that girl? <laughs> I mean, I don't know her. <laughs> I've okay. never seen her. Wait, wait. Swipe right, swipe left. Share and only share in Mamma Mia 2. Right. Swipe right. Right. right all the way. Okay, great. I'm glad we're all on the same page. Um, I bought him for share in Mamma Mia <laughs> number two. Happily. Uh, and we're on a With mirror- a piercing. Doesn't she fly? It's <laughs> fine. Doesn't she fly in on a helicopter? Yes. Of course so she I, I Which is a- basically how I got here <laughs> 20 minutes ago. Charter so, plane. She- so in LA, I live in LA, and the first week it opened in like the West Hollywood Theater, people were clapping in every showing every time she came in on a helicopter. Yeah. So it was like the big thing in LA is like go to the, the movie, the audience gets super hyped when she comes in, and people are like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's where they just for just, just go out and we ho. Everyone, you just even sh- if you say Cher's name at any bar in Los Angeles, people are like clap, clap for her. <laughs> um, I love it. So we're on a Meryl Streep kick. So Meryl Streep and Big Little Eyes. Swipe right. I'm freaking out. I'm so freaking excited. I literally like that show was perfect, and then now they're gonna make it more perfect. Like I. <laughs> I was blown away. I couldn't I know, believe like, it. Like Meryl can do no wrong. I was watching Devil Wears Prada on the plane here, and I'm just always blown away by the fact that she's perfect in anything she touches. Fun mm-hmm. fact: I moved to New York because of that movie. Really? <laughs> I was, I was so like, on brand. For I you. need someone. <laughs> why won't someone treat me like garbage in but the it, publishing industry? <laughs> Want to be Meryl or Anne Hathaway? Uh, I wanted to be Anne Hathaway because I assumed <laughs> I assumed that Meryl Streep really? was impossible in those. Sh- in my well, now I uh, you're much slowly... more Meryl Streep in that movie, than right? Well, exactly. I've become her, but at the time <laughs> you were born her. I'm Boricua Meryl Streep. Mm-hmm. In, I in say Devil this Wars with love, but yeah. Um, yeah, so perfect. Um, so the <laughs> this is. A great one that Dennis added. The fact that Grey's Anatomy is still on TV. <laughs> They're like on season 46. <laughs> when Wait. that show first came on television, I was a teenager. <laughs> I'm in my early 30s. Swipe left. And you're a Shonda Stan. I am a sh- Listen, any powerful black woman... I'm going to stand hard for, and I stand hard for Shonda all the way, but take that shit off the air. Ellen Pompeo, get a new job. <laughs> so wait, under, under, under that, uh, under that. But keep your salary. We love that about you. 
So under that prerequisite, that means you're a big stand for Omarosa? I said powerful wow. black woman. <laughs> swipe right, swipe left. The fact that Cynthia Nixon is running for governor of New York. Right. Right, right. Literally right, right all the way. Right. Like, I don't care if she's unqualified at this point. Like, I... I, mean, I refuse to make an educated voter decision are you, on are this you matter. Like the rest of America. I'm are you publicly facetious. saying she's not qualified? I'm not saying she's not qualified. I'm not not saying she's qualified. Um, she's not a crusty Cheeto, so it's all fine in my book. I know, really. Like, I mean, like, I feel like I, I'm just here for a queer woman in office, mm-hmm. and... Yeah. And also, I mean, like, uh, all of her platforms are everything that I stand for. Same. So, here for it. Swipe right. Um, what? Is she here in Provincetown? Oh, my God. Stop <gasps> the show. Cynthia Nixon, Someone find te- us. Um, swipe right, swipe left. Stephen King defending that poem at the nation where a white dude adapted African-American vernacular. Did anybody see this? Uh, Do you guys know about yeah. this whole thing? Will you describe it, Dennis? Oh, my God. Him? Okay. <laughs> so this white poet named Anders Carlson Wee. Yes, drag as if, as if the name isn't white enough. Blonde haired, blue eyes, fake struggle, meaning that lives off the grid, but family has crazy tech money. Anyway... So Anders wrote this poem, and it was published in The Nation. And the poem was called How To. And it was supposed to highlight the invisibility of homelessness. And it has all these lines like, if you're, what, like, if you're, don't tell them that you're pregnant, if you're a woman or something. Like, the idea is that this, is, this privileged straight white guy is giving a homeless person advice on how to um, be the most visible that they can be to passers-by in order to get money. And it uses a whole lot of AAVE, or African-American vernacular language. It's very colonialist in the sense that it's like mining this story for profit. Um, and there was a huge uproar when it was published. And I'm, I don't know Anders, but we're Facebook friends. And so... <laughs> I actually saw it on Facebook that really morning. Really watched it unravel. And I thought it was a joke. Like, I, I just, I read it quickly. I was at work. I thought it was a joke. And then it came up on my Facebook feed again, like, six hours later. And there were, like, there were, like, ten comments from people being like, yeah, this poem is beautiful. And then all of a sudden, people were like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and then I saw people, like, posting it on Facebook, and it was all over Twitter. And it... It, the the editors, the poetry editors for the nation ended up apologizing for it. So that's one thing that was very interesting. And then there were all these think pieces about whether or not they should have apologized, whether or not the, the outcry about the poem was even fair. I love a think piece. Love I mean, I love think. two, but when there's five on the same, like, come on. <laughs> like, move on. I was like, all these people are writing think pieces, but they could just be writing their own mediocre and problematic AF poems. <laughs> and instead, they're writing about this one. Like, move on. But anyway, that happened. And then Stephen King defended the writer and was like, well, what's next? Do, writer, do women writers who write from the perspectives of men have to apologize and vice versa? And we were like, no, fool. We were like, girl. Like, she's the literally girl. She's the one that's like at the bar, and you're like, we gotta go home. Yeah. You've had enough. Did you see Roxanne Gay came from here? Yes, I did. She's like, this is not how this is done, Mr. King. (laughs) (laughs) And And he said, agreed. He wrote back, he's like, agreed, sure. Yep. He just shut the fuck up. If Roxanne Gay ever addressed me as 
Mr. Torado. I would descend into my grave. Oh, yeah. Done. It's like, poof. Or you might become like a biblical pillar of salt. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, Just like yeah. looking over my shoulder and I immediately turn to a pillar of salt. Yes. So, yeah. Uh, our second segment is called Impure Thought, spelled T-H-O-T. Um, and it is a salacious, rambunctious, ridiculous, c- cinematic, absolutely noteworthy uh, sex story of some kind told by an honorary thought. No, no Zach was like, no pressure, Zach was Zach. like, wait, I, did I no sign pressure. on to do this? I, when I got the email this morning, I was like, motherfuck. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and Zach are you, are you ready? grace Zach? us with a beautiful I'm ready. Story. Yeah, you're ready. Go for it. Okay, I'll tell a story. Okay, tell us. So us the, the only story I could think of when I was preparing for this was when I was... 19 in New Ooh. York. Okay, this is already. Really I was visiting time. a friend at one of the design schools or something. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so Literally, you don't even have to name I don't it. Remember. Just like a design school. She was in school. Um, <laughs> they often are. So we were like day drinking. We had really good fake IDs and we were like bopping around. And um, I went to not Stonewall, but the bar that has an upstairs, it's like upstairs, duplex. 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 God. Duplex. Thank you. Thank Girl, you. I love a messy night at duplex. So she went to duplex for the first time. And when I got there, I met some guy. And I'm like 19, so any man that like looks over 30 and taller than me and looks like he has a credit card that works, I was going to say yes to. Right? <laughs> that doesn't necessarily change when you're in your it early doesn't. 30s. <laughs> FYI. <It doesn't>. So <laughs> it stays the same. Um, we'll be me tonight at Fag Bash. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm yes. like, so do you have good credit? <laughs> So I forget how I meet this guy, but I meet him and we hit it off and he's really handsome and I'm really drunk and we start making out and we do that thing where you just like make out with some, I used to call these like Sunday boyfriends. Like you get with, like you find someone in the middle of your day drinking and then you'll latch on and all of a sudden you go from zero to like super intimately married just for like Uh the day and you're like holding hands, drinking, you don't even know their name, but you're like overcompensating by like acting like this is your man. And I think you do, I do this because I hit this point where I'm like, I'm doing all this like public PDA and it's so gross that I need to make people think that this person's my fiance. Yeah. The fact that we're doing this is much. right by like 6 p.m. <laughs> yeah. You're joining your bank account. Yes, together. exactly. You've adopted a dog somehow. Yes. I've left. I've uh, broke my uh, lease to move into his house. All these things. So, um, so we're making out. We're bopping around and it hits like, oh, like eight or nine. And we're really drunk. And he's like, let's go back to my house. I have this. I have house on the Lower East Side. That sentence is a panty dropper. And and a two bedroom. That sentence is a panty dropper. You can sleep in your own bed. The credit was good. And so I like leave, we go there, and like we're really drunk. And I didn't realize how drunk he was. And this guy was like pretty big. He's like probably six, three, six, four. 220, just big dude. Ooh, if Tommy was here, Ooh. he would just like, Tommy, Tommy's legs would be up. It was yeah. like, it like, like nine year old me was like queen of twinks at the time. So like I was much small. It was just a whole thing. So we go there and we're like making out in the bed and it's like getting really hot. And then all of a sudden he like, his lips stop moving. And I'm like, what's going on? And then he's like, I hear snoring. And I was like, oh my God, this dude's falling asleep. <laughs> And this is like, 30. Falling asleep. I, was, I was so ready for 
for you to be like, and he was dead. <laughs> like, and then it like, takes like, and then like, it fully turns around. You have to bury the body. You have to lie to all of his friends. Oh Shonda Rhimes, like, somehow contacted How you. How did you just go through all that? Show. Immediately. This so is Fran. This is, in, this is Fran's head. <laughs> FYI. I was like, so, so where did you bury the body? <laughs> so it, that did not happen. I wish it did. <laughs> um, so he falls asleep on me. And I'm like sitting there and I like, can't get him off. And I'm like pushing, yeah. pushing. And I stay trapped there for like 30 minutes. <gasps> and I'm just, like, oh my God. sitting there and he's snoring in my ear right here. And he smells like alcohol. And by that time I'm like, coming down off the booze and cause my metabolism oh. much higher back then. And I'm like more sober. And I'm like, this is not working for me. So finally, and I'm doing all the tricks. Like I like kiss his neck. Doesn't wake up. I like put my hand down there. Not moving. Was not hard. So I like sneak out from under there. But as I get out from under him, I hear his front door open and close. <gasps> And I was like, oh my God, who's here? Like, what's this? Because I thought he lived alone. So I'm like waiting, like standing behind the door, waiting to one, expect there's another man coming in or woman or something. And then I hear this person like in the kitchen, turn on the TV, turn off the TV. And this goes on for like 45 minutes. <gasps> and I'm just standing there. And I was like, I don't know what to do. And so I eventually, the person goes into the bedroom next to him. And I like hear the door close and they get settled. So then I'm like, okay, where am I? And this is before Uber. And I'm like, oh, I'm like okay, so detail. like, how do I, and this is my first time in New York too, by the way. And oh, I was like, no, I don't know where I'm at. I would have had a quintessential New York Cinderella story. Yes. Yes. I was like, where am I, I at? Had a what do I do? And he's knocked out sleep and I try to wake him up and nothing's happening. And I see his wallet on the counter. Oh, yes. And I'm like, you know what would be, and I'm staying in Harlem and I'm in the Lower East Side. And I was like, I know a quick way to get home. <laughs> That's like a $25 cab ride. It's yellow and it comes on four wheels. Yes. A cab with his money. So, so I steal 40 bucks from his wallet. Was that enough to get from the Lower East Side to Harlem? It was. Or maybe it was 60 bucks. It was some amount. It was 20. It was I enough. You probably you took some And in my head, I was like, this is, we had not exchanged numbers. Okay. So he could never call me to be like, did you take the money? Uh, I lived in Chicago. So he couldn't run into me or anything. So I steal the money. Um, I sneak out. I even like slammed the door to see if he would like wake up, didn't wake up, still gone. So then I get in a cab and on my way home, I call my friend and I'm like, hey, this just happened. What are you doing? And she was getting really high. So and she yes. was like, how are you paying? To, like, you're taking a cab. Why don't you take the, the train? I was like, I didn't know, but I stole some money. And she's like, oh, that's only going to be like 25 bucks. Can you go to Burger King? <laughs> <laughs> so I yes. took my ass to Burger King in Harlem, picked up her food. <laughs> Brought it back. The house was filled with marijuana smoke, and I went to bed. And that was my first time in Burger yeah. King. You are such a good friend. <laughs> good I would have been like, bitch, I'm going shopping. Get your own damn Burger King. <laughs> it was only like 25 I want brunch bucks. tomorrow. <laughs> like, I bought Burger King, and I also, never saw that man again. Yeah. Wow. I live in Harlem. Where is their burger? I'm disappointed you didn't <laughs> go no. to Wendy's. I'm a Wendy's stan. I'm not a Burger King stan. I'm more of a Wendy's person. So You are. It okay. was also me being very giving to well, mm -hmm. a Pisces. So, there's I not a lot of Wendy's in New York City. I'm I'm really exposing myself, but there's not a lot of New York. There's, I've looked. 
Mike, I love Wendy's. She's been on Google Maps. I grew it. up on on chicken nuggets. But you and I actually have both bonded over the fact that what we what really raised us was Boston Market. Yeah. Did you guys ever go to Boston oh, wow. Market? Yes. Did you ever get the mac and cheese? And, oh, it's so and good. And then also the apple slices, and you like mix that the mac and cheese with the apple slices. I never the sweet that. potato souffle, which made me, it, it made me feel like I was in touch with my heritage in the middle of Ohio. <laughs> I wasn't, but I felt like I was. Wait, you put apples and mac and cheese? Apples and mac and cheese? That reminds me. It's all about the sides at Boston Market. (laughs) I mean, the rotisserie chicken is fine, but if you like chicken. Dennis would like to be a Boston Market influencer. So (laughs) at Boston Market, please get out of it. open? Honestly, they They are. There's one like 15 blocks up from my apartment. (laughs) I have a girlfriend who lives right by it. And sometimes we're like, girl, let's meet at Boston Market and dish. Anyways, thank you for sharing that, Zach. That was such a good story. Okay, so for today's thought process, um, spelled T-H-O-T, very important uh, distinction, Um, we are going to be talking about safe spaces. Um, The term is like, it's like a bit of a buzzword these days, but regardless of its kind of linguistic bankruptcy, it's still an important important term nonetheless. Um, We at Food for Thought, we convene a safe space online in the audio sphere. A lot of people write us emails every day and they say, thank you for this space you've created, which is something that's kind of difficult to understand because we're like, it's not a physical space. Um, Zach over at Into slash Grindr um, creates, does a lot of work that aims to make the app a safer space for its users. Well, Into, Grindr's work in progress. Right, right. <laughs> there, you, oh, there she goes. That's, Your work that's, is cut out for you, really, but it really, But it really actually is yeah, in yeah. progress. So, and progress has been made. I yeah. yeah, I we agree. We have other campaigns coming. We'll get to that. Yeah. Yes, we'll get to that. Um, and uh, a lot of the work that you do aims to make just the internet in general, a safer space for queer people. And Provincetown is a historically, and still was and still is a historically safe space um, for the queer community cultivated by the queens of yesteryear. This message comes from iHeartRadio sponsor, Mercury Insurance. If you're looking to save some money, you should really think about getting a quote from Mercury because Californians save an average of $677 with Mercury. It's quick and easy, and in just a few minutes, you might find you could save a lot of money on your auto and home insurance. Plus, Mercury was named one of America's best insurance companies by Insure.com four years in a row. Low rates, big discounts, great insurance. Go to MercuryInsurance.com today to get a quote. It's crazy how much we have to pay for outdated, impersonal health care, and even crazier that we all just accept it. It's time to face facts. Health care is backwards. Luckily, there's forward. A new approach to primary care that's surprisingly personal and refreshingly straightforward. Forward never makes you feel like just another patient. Backed by top-rated doctors and the latest tech, Forward gives you access to personalized care whenever you need it. Using in-depth genetic analysis and real-time blood work, Forward's top-rated doctors provide you with in-depth insights to better understand your genetics, mental, and physical health. They then create custom, easy-to-understand plans to help guide you to achieving long-term health. With Forward, you get unlimited in-person visits with your doctor and access to care anytime via the Forward app, all for one flat monthly fee. It's time to stop accepting backwards health care and start moving your health forward. Visit GoForward.com today to learn more. That's GoForward.com. Hi, this is Rex Chapman 
You might know me from my former life as an NBA player or from my spectacular fall from grace, or maybe just follow me on Twitter. Now I'm hosting a new podcast called Charges with Rex Chapman. Each episode centers around an interview with a famous athlete or entertainer who ran afoul of the law. We'll relive their rise to fame as well as their fall from grace and hear their side of the events that changed their lives forever. And uh, really want to let people know with the people that we're going to talk to that you're never as bad as your worst moment as long as you learn from it. You know, I'm, I'm planning on having guys on, the guys I know, guys I don't know who've run afoul. Uh, we call it charges because you've been charged with something. It was an ugly time. It was a tough time in your life. And that moment when it happened to you is really painful to talk about. Uh, but I think it's cathartic and I think people will get a lot out of it. Listen to Charges with Rex Chapman on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Paris Hilton has a podcast. This is Paris, where she talks about the hottest in movies, music, and television with edgy, candid conversations and unexpected guests. This is Paris like you've never heard her before. Join Paris every week for an honest, open, and unpredictable romp through pop culture that only she can deliver. Over my career, I've probably been interviewed about a million times. So now it's my chance to turn the tables and interview some of your favorite celebs, my friends, my family, people who I find interesting newsmakers, influential people, and maybe even you. This is Paris reveals a more personal view of influencer, model, and author Paris Hilton. I love Schitt's Creek, The Simple Life, Westworld. Wait, The Simple Life? Are you just going to put that in the middle and then <laughs> elaborate? I love that. How do you want It's just so much fun to watch with my boyfriend because he's not like the reality type. Listen to This Is Paris podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, but what does it mean to make a safe space? Who gets to decide that this space is safer than any other? And uh, how do we go about um, defining that? Uh, I guess to start it off, I actually really am curious to know, what are all of our impressions of Provincetown so far? <sighs> Zach, <laughs> Zach and I texted a little bit about this, about this. Because I was, like, I was like, it's great. Also, it's so white. It's very white. I'm like, I white. so white that I was like, people keep like bumping into me and I'm like, do you not see me? Is is this what you mean by like, you don't see color? Is that you like, you like keep getting bumped into? They will like, just run over you. But they don't this, even know. Right, like I was immediately critical, but at the same time I was like, I want to be you. Like I want to live in this fisherman's town. And just that's like gay as hell. Your best yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah. overall, I really like yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I love it here so far. When I you texted me about this place being very, um, very white, and I landed, and I said, "This is the Caucasian island," and <laughs> I and I come from a very white place. You know, I'm interracial. Same. I grew up in rural Tennessee. I was the only person of color in my my town, uh, besides my dad and my sister. But so I'm used to that. Um, but I really love it here so far. And when you told me that's what we're talking about today, I one want to like commend you for layering the safe space kind of narrative from like mm -hmm. digital to physical because that was really smart. Yes. I would not have thought of that. <laughs> oh, like, shut oh, up. Oh, like podcast is safe space, magazine is safe space, mm -hmm. geography is safe space. Um, but I think someone said something earlier about how Provincetown is becoming straighter 
So I think like what I noticed most of all is that like I came here thinking it's gonna be this really queer experience. I mean, we're doing the studio, uh, the studio program, and I saw so many straight people. And when you met up with me, I said to you, I was like, oh my God, I love this look, but I'm sure the girls were staring as you're walking down the street. Yeah, I was like, that's correct, because I look like a literal witch. A witch walking down the street yeah. wearing black. Because <laughs> he does. I, I got off the boat wearing all black and had all this luggage, and people were just like gawking. And then even with this like turmeric tunic, straight people were gawking. And I was like, what, what is going on? You oh. called it turmeric tunic? Oh, yeah. Oh. Are you a writer? Oh, turmeric my God. Tunic. You know, I live in LA. It is literally turmeric. <laughs> you guys wear colors out there. We wear colors out there, yeah. Um, but I was thinking a lot about how it felt safe, but I don't know how like forever that is. And like mm -hmm. the maintenance that we as queer people have to do to keep a space safe. Um, cause even when I went to a store and they were telling me about fag bash, there was like this amazing camaraderie of like the, the guy that worked there was like, Oh, there's this party. It's called fag bash. And there's this other faggot thing. And I was like, I love the fact could just being you so openly here, but I didn't, I felt like in his store it worked, but if I said that out in the streets, it wouldn't work at all. Mm -hmm. So I think like I bring all that to say is that like, I love province sound, but pro but safe spaces for me are like this active projects that we have to always kind of commit to and work towards. And there's never, when we say safe space, that's not saying that it's concrete, but it's always in flux and it's very ephemeral, um, like yeah. queerness itself. And it pops up. And like to in this thought is that when I told you, I walked into another store and there was a black queer man there, there and we said hi to each other. I was like, okay, we good. We're good. Mm -hmm. There's some yeah. of us here. So that felt good. But yeah, and safe space is like this kind of like always moving target thing. Mm -hmm. It's more based in feeling than like physicality ever. Yeah. And I think that's why like your podcast is that and does do that better than maybe a physical space. When I, that's, that's really, I, I totally um, agree with that it's kind of the same impression, which is like layers of safeness that you feel or don't feel at any given time. And I also, I'm thinking, you just reminded me that like I, I, I studied uh, sex and gender at the Kinsey Institute in Indiana, which is pretty much the only good thing that Indiana is for. Um, <laughs> and I remember having like a like a, a mentor figure who was in the gender studies department who was like, "There's no such thing as safe spaces, only safer spaces, like spaces that are safer." than others and you just made me think of that like you just threw me back mm. all the way there um but it's kind of true it's so you know, yeah, true. i mean not especially as we not to like you know create a hierarchy of privilege or safeness but like you know tr you know black trans women feel less yeah. safe than me who is exhibits a very privileged body in a, a place that might be perceived yeah. as safe um, yeah. elsewhere and i think like for me i have a i'm very critical of what is a safe space and what it's not what maintenance it needs mainly because of like my job i'm the chief content officer of grinder grinder is a the world's largest gay app it is not a safe space it's not a safe space by design it's for you to make it a safe space it takes a lot of community activation it means that like every user around you has to be committed to making that safe space you have mm -hmm. to learn a certain language you have to be engaged it doesn't just appear just because we designed mm -hmm. an app that shows you that every other person with a gps signal that also likes to have sex with other men or other queer people doesn't make it safe at all. Bars don't make each other safe just by being gay bars. It takes a commitment yeah. to that practice. Um, and that's something that I, at my job, I have to think about every day when I joined Grindr was because it was not a safe space. And I was like, this is so sad that we're exporting this app to emerging countries uh, like Ghana or, or Cuba or Jamaica, where it's like being used to organize protests there, not as much hooking up, but we as a company weren't doing enough to like embolden those people to keep doing that practice um so i think yeah. like when we think about queer spaces queer or safe spaces queer spaces are the best places to talk about what that maintenance looks like and how that's achievable if we want straight people to also engage in that practice mm -hmm. yeah i'm re i'm just really quickly before i go to provincetown i'm just reminded 
of this thing that happened. I think it was in 2014 at the Sochi Olympics. It might have been at the Rio Olympics where oh, Brazil, a straight, yes. re- always the straight reporter. The Olympics yes. with My, you. Yes. Sorry. I love the Olympics. You love the Olympics and I'm always like, what is a sport? <laughs> I've never. I no. It was, every <laughs> time the Summer Olympics come around, I consider the idea of joining the sport of race walking because I can still do that and be an Olympian. Wait, race walking like it's an the, Olympic sport. Like where your feet don't leave the yes. ground. Okay, it's an Olympic sport. Just, I just needed a picture. I'm of not you too doing old. That. I'm not too old for that one. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, that thing where that straight reporter, thank you, yeah. um, was going on Grinder in in the Olympic Village and was like threatening to or maybe was like outing athletes who were gay who weren't out and it was a whole a whole thing and just the idea that um a big part of what makes a safe space which is part of i feel like why it's so manageable is simply that every person who's granted access to that space has to have the same commitment yes and like that's like impossible to manage oh insane on that kind of platform and so i really admire what grinder and what you are trying to do because i think it just it's the sort of thing that might feel like an impossible task um it's not, and one we should keep striving mm-hmm. for. So I've been in Provincetown less than an hour. <laughs> Truly, like, landed on a seaplane. A very After chic, five. A very chic seaplane. Was it get, chic? I thought it was chic, because I imagined the you, like, Cher and Mamma Mia, getting off of the seaplane and being like, Mother, I, what did she say? Grandma's here. I or made whatever. it chic, and also the really fabulous elderly lesbian that I, that befriended me on the plane was Ooh. really fun. Um, shout out to Nikki. Love you, Nikki. <laughs> <laughs> love you, Nikki. We love Nikki. Anyway, um, no, so the first thing that I... Okay, there was this really hot, like, dad sitting next... There was, the pilot was hot in front of me, and then next to me there was this really hot dad who I had been admiring ever since I got to the gate, and I was like, oh, like, if this is any indication, this is going to be a fun, like, 36 hours that I'm here in <laughs> Provincetown. <laughs> And then when he got off the plane, he went over to his wife and daughter. (laughs) And while it's true that that has never stopped me. Oh, girl, you like the trade? Listen, (laughs) I I have all kinds of vices. Is this an impure thought story? Um, (laughs) No. The point is, I was like, oh, Provincetown isn't as gay as I thought it was. And I will say that, that until I got to this street, I didn't feel like I was in a gay space. Yeah, right. And so I was looking out of the windows and like like the man who was driving my van was a homosexual. <laughs> the other person in my van was this lesbian who I befriended. But as I was riding along, like the, first of all, it's much bigger than Fire Island. But beyond that, I just was looking on the sidewalk and I was like, like, I think they're straight. I think they're straight. I think they're gay. Like, and I was like, this, it's a little perplexing, I guess, because it wasn't what I thought it would be. And then when we got here, I was like, okay. So, but I, I and rainbows, here we are in rainbow city. Like, Oh, I found my people Yeah, here. I guess the American flag is just the gay flag. (laughs) But I think that brings in like a really, sorry, go ahead. Oh no. I was just, that was just shocking to me. I didn't, I didn't, that it wasn't as homogenous of yeah. a gay thing as you. But, and I didn't like it. But does homogeneity... <laughs> I mean, Thank I, you I love straight people. But, but does, I guess like the bigger question for me in that is like, does homogeneity 
is that needed for a space to be safe? Does everyone have to look the exact same and be the same for it to be a safe space? Because I thought about that. I've been thinking a lot since we've been walking around, you know, all writers by training, thinking all the time. Mm -hmm. And I walk by a family's house and they had their son out there who I believe to be adopted because he was black and they were white. So as a mixed person, I know how that works. Mm -hmm. and, Unless there's some really recessive and, um, traits. And there was some really recessive traits in that. <laughs> and, I, and I had just come from a store where the shopkeeper was a trans woman. And I mm. thought about that little boy and how amazing it must be that he gets to go to these stores and see queer people and trans people, especially trans women, running a store and like running a business. So it was like, which made me start thinking is like, is this space safe for us or is it safe for straight people now to begin to understand us? Like how does and those are two different, exactly. completely different yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. As Tommy That's would put it, question. our... I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily assign this to the case of Provincetown, but in general, like when we're convening safe spaces, are they for queer people or are they for queer people to be um, mechanisms mm -hmm. in straight epiphanies? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, which well, is like uh, I don't know. It's like a like I don't know, it's loves, real. Am I gonna say it? Love Simon? Yeah. Or like oh my god! <laughs> like, like this is not. We now that I finally seen Love, Simon a month ago, I'm happy to talk <laughs> about it because I have thoughts. I have like, thoughts. Is this really? But, yeah. but like, so I've lived in New York for six, uh, yeah, six years. It'll be six years in September. And, um, and I came to New York a lot as a kid because I have these sisters who are a lot older than me and they both lived and worked in New York for like a decade. So I was here all the time, like seeing shows and, and going to tourist sites and whatever as a kid. And it's interesting because now when I meet older queer people, um, like people who are in their 50s and 60s specifically, they talk about how um, in some ways it's wonderful that like New York City's New York City's culture as a whole is a lot more integrated when it comes to sexuality. And I think to an extent when it comes to gender identity and expression as well more recently. But at the same time, there is a loss of spaces that were very specifically queer. There are still gay bars in New York, but there are very few lesbian bars, for example. And a lot of people are like, well, there aren't even really that many gay bars because like gay people are everywhere and straight people are everywhere and we all get along and it's all hunky-dory. And like, I mean, that's complicated and that's like fine for New York. But when I, when I talk to people who were here, who were in New York in like the 80s and the 70s when it was very different, um, they feel a sense of loss about that. And I think I understand that. I don't, in the last like three or four years, like my general social circle has become far more queer. It was always very hetero, to be honest. And now like I have way more queer people in my life that I see regularly and interact with regularly than I do straight people. So then when I go to like a bar, like a, a bar where there aren't very many gay people or um, like a friend's party where I'm one of very few gay people, I'm like, what, what is happening right now? <laughs> What is right. what? What is this? What's this language that people are speaking yeah. Yeah. that I don't understand? And why am I? He and and it's been ten minutes. Why am I still here? Why wasn't I teleported to therapy? <laughs> <laughs> to, yeah, no, no, to expand Thank on that and, and on your point as well. Like I'm a big I'm a big fan of dehomogenizing your your dehomogenizing your friend groups at at all costs. You know, like there's there, mm -hmm. it's too easy, especially when you're queer, to kind of you know, gather your gaggle and, like, not even realize that, like, you all look exactly the same. So, like, I, I mean, like, mm. I, you know, there's so many pictures that y'all see on Instagram. It's like, my, me and oh my, my chosen family at Fire, at Fire Island. And it's just, like, they all look like the K 
casting call of like a Ryan Murphy TV show. And you're like, mm-hmm. I, I'm like, what? Is that a safe space? Is that a community? I'm not sure. And I mean, it is. I mean, there are a lot of reasons why that actually could be something for someone. However, um, even though I believe in exclusively queer spaces, I don't believe in those exclusively queer spaces to be homogenous. It's like yeah. you should have friends across your difference so that you can have nuanced opinions and like understand what those differences mean. Yeah. Well, and what about the, like the question of when you have a safe space, how like when it comes to making that space outwardly facing or welcoming to other people, how safe should it be in that regard? Because when I think about like that queer space that you've mentioned, which for me in my head immediately is like the, the, the safe space of the cisgender white gay male. They're all between 25 and 35. They're all muscular. They all have six figure jobs. Maybe, maybe the poor one makes 80 grand a year, (laughs) you know, and they're all renting out this house. And like, I'm, I'm, a non-binary femme, I'm a person of color, like, that's not necessarily a space that I feel safe in, but they maybe feel safe in it. And, like, navigating and negotiating that value, that's, a lot of times, that's kind of what it's like when I when I go to Fire Island with my white gay friends who have those shares, and they're like, come for a day trip, come spend the night, like, you know, and I am happy to do it, and it's super fun, because it's beautiful, but then sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't feel safe here, I don't feel visible, I don't feel appreciated and in a way that I might want to feel. Um, But maybe like that's not the purpose of it because it's also not my space. Like I didn't pony up $5,000 to have that share. Like, so I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes me think a lot about like who, I mean, the policing of safe spaces gets very like a slippery slope. Cause like, I think a lot about uh, in Chicago when I lived there for like nine years off and on, um, I used to throw a brunch called the Banji brunch and it was a black queer brunch that happened every month at someone's house. Um, it began in like 2013. It still goes on. Like it lives on since I'm not there, but like a black queer person opens up their house in one part of the city. Chicago deals with like immense segregation. And so the point was to like activate black houses around the city. So other black people could come together and meet each other. And it was like the most healing thing I did for many of those years. At the time I was a gar- uh, a reporter at the guardian and I was a homicide reporter. So I reported on black, <laughs> on black death and quit in trans death mostly. So I was like, that was my time to like take a step back and come there for healing. And every person there, even though I had a very traumatizing job, um, my friends that worked in banking, real estate, that was a space for them to come and get refueled and to go back out into the world that wasn't built for them. Um, and then one day, my hou- I threw it at my house and my neighbors were these racist Russians. Not that that's weird now in the age of Trump, Russia, but this was before Trump. And um, they, their English was, the English part doesn't matter, but we had a hard time communicating a lot. And I always thought they were homophobes. And they, when I threw a brunch on my, in my house one day, it was filled with a lot of like the upper echelon of like black culture, like those like the, the talented 10th, as Du Bois would say, of like mm. Harvard mm-hmm. MBA, because there was an MBA convention in town. Oh. There's one that travels, by the way, if you want to get a man with a job. Oh, oh, oh. I love that. There's like this, oh. this whole time I've talked oh, about. We're going to talk. I love that I keep bringing up credit. Single and ready to mingle. So there's, an MB, so there's an MBA convention that travels that people who have like MBAs go to. And it was in Chicago. So I invited a lot of Ivy League. Anyway, we're not getting that. But there are all these guys there. So, Wow. Great jobs and degrees. And they were on my back porch, and my neighbors lit a fire under my porch. 
<gasps> to smoke them off the balcony. And called, oh, called them porch monkeys, all the stuff. We had to file charges, all these things. And what was so crazy about that is that like we had worked so hard to create this space that had been cultivated for years, and then someone like intentionally violated that. And people were like, after that happened, we got the fire out. People all just broke down crying, and they like, and these were like CEOs and stuff were just bawling in each other's eyes. And there's something about like when I think about safe spaces, I always imagine them as a place for people who are disenfranchised in the mainstream society to come together, have a moment to get their armor fixed and go back out in the world. Mm -hmm. And then when it's taken from you, how devastating that is. And I think that's why we're so hard on the instigays who are white, privileged, six figures, and like they're needing a safe space because you're like, well, for what? Like, I yeah. like why? But I do think they deserve it. So it's like this complication of like, who does a safe space serve? How do we protect them? Too easy them? to I yeah. mean, they got a whole network. Yeah. Bravo. <laughs> come on. <laughs> But no, that's totally real. Please tell me that you legally destroyed these people. Like, and afterwards. Well, oh my God, we don't have to get the police weren't going to do anything about it. But they had to like file more paperwork. I then I'm an investigative journalist by training, so I did a whole background. I had a file on my computer, a kill file, I called it. Yes. A lot, but all they did. This is so Shonda Rhimes scandal. And then, um, I, once again, like, I, how many ways can Shonda Rhimes adapt your life into a TV? So series? many. <laughs> Like so much. I have some stories. Um, but I decided we. I after that I moved because something about it. I lived in the neighborhood too, and this happened in Boys Town, Chicago. And something about me was a moment where like the boys in the neighborhood was changing a lot. It was becoming very straight, and I was like, I gotta get out of here. And oh. I like moved. But Boys Town was yeah. the first geographically like named Ancient, place, yeah, sanctioned place for queer rainbow people pillars in the for a mile down the street. So it's like the only government funded or like kind of noted gay space. The first one. Now there are others, but yeah, the first. Um, straight people do better. Don't <laughs> take our spaces. Um, we're talking a lot about physical space. I want to talk a little bit about the space that I inhabit more, which is a digital space, uh, internet space. And like, I want to, <laughs> I want to actually ask you, Zach, like you, you do a lot of work at into that, um, also coincides with the work done at Grindr that creates safe spaces, digital or otherwise for queer people. There are like initiatives for the trans and non-binary community that, you know, Grindr and into have helmed. There are a lot of ways that we're and you work with that like how do you when when you took on this role was it a year and a half ago oh you're in a few months see i'm no. good um uh when you took on this role you're immediately conscious of the problems that grinder is dealing with like what do you how do you create safe digital spaces yeah that's a great thank you for asking that question so for background i joined grinder a year and two months ago um and i built this magazine called into out of grinder um, which is now the most read LGBT news outlet in the world. Oh yeah. my God! According to Quantcast, um, but uh, but we use the power of Grinder to send people to content. Grinder, forty million registered users, like pretty easy to go number one if that's the case. Mm -hmm. The content is award winning. We won a Glad Award. We won Shorties. All these things. Boom! A shakalaka. So I always have to back that up. People are like, "Well, isn't that easy?" Because you have Grinder. I'm like, "Yes, but we also won all these amazing awards." You but also really the content hard. is good. You've written. You did a profile of Sam Sanders the other day on NPR. Um, yes. Which was great. Yeah. I Black queer journalist. Kind of want to marry him. He's <laughs> so thank you for he's doing that. He's a stable guy. Um, I wonder what his sign is. He's <laughs> also <laughs> just super. <laughs> sorry, he's, he's I'm so not cool. gonna turn this into a. Um, let's go back to that. 
But I knew that like when I joined Grinder, I was most interested in the distribution because I was like, you know, if I have access to all these millions of people, mostly men, how can I create content with a newsroom that's centered around people who are underrepresented? So the newsroom is filled with people of color, trans people, women. Trish will be here tomorrow. Is the managing editor. She's a pretty well-known queer journalist um, for a while. She's the godfather of lesbian journalism. Like, okay, lesbian, she's not like pretty well-known. Every time like a lesbian, a famous lesbian meets her, they like fangirl really hard. Like Haley Kiyoko calls her phone a lot. Like, hey Trish, can we talk? And I'm just like, oh so ask her about Haley Kiyoko talks. But because she like was one of the first queer women to write in like a major, she's written in Vogue and all these things. Um, but I wanted to create a newsroom where like mainstream journalists like myself and Trish could come together, build a newsroom, and activate the distribution of Grinder to send content and like recenter the conversations around what queer media should look like. Um, and then you all joined with the podcast, and so there was like this big boom of lots of like melanin and, and all this stuff. It was so, everything. So it was like everything. like as a person who has been a grinder user for many years not many years but a few years so so with the grinder part it's like as we're doing this content i then was in this role just content and then as a black gay man that has an expertise in grinder uh i was like you know the app should start changing too so like as into was growing and it's its own brand that looks very separate than grinder and lives on its own um we started making changes to grinder so one of it was to be more gender inclusive so i was like it's not just for men there are trans men there are trans women there are lots of different types of people so we expanded that we're working on like a new campaign called kinder which I can't say too much about, but if you watch Good Morning America, the first week of September, you'll see it. Uh, um, all right. Yeah. Oh. Um, and uh, so, but it's pretty much the, the, the campaign's about how do I change Grinder and as a structure and a, and a tool, make it a safer space at jump to where like harassment is more is better monitored. You can't publicly assault or, or verbally assault people in a public space there, all that stuff. Um, so that's been a project that's been taking long. It's very complicated. But with the content side, it was very much about like how do I let people tell their own stories and give them the best editors to do that too. And it was a gamble. Like Grindr's not known for this. They weren't known for media at all. And I had to get all these like people who were at the Vogue or BuzzFeed or Mike to like take a chance. And it's like worked out really well. But like we have to think the, how journalism works in, into is that we're very connected to our subjects because they're also in our community. So even like I keep looking at my phone because Dana Karam, the transgender woman that won, um, that is now a, a congressperson. The, high, the highest, yeah. highest uh, ranking, highest ranking person. trans person. She, we did a profile of her and she's like, upset about something and we're like working on it right now but that's kind of how our newsroom works is that like if we're all going to be in this public digital space it's kind of a community effort so like if ever an activist has a problem with something they can call my line and we work with them to figure it out because to be queer in public can also allow a lot of violence into your life and I don't let that I don't like diminish that at all and it's because I come from a homicide background where like the point of telling a story is not to do more harm than that has already been done and when I created into I was like you know I don't see a lot of queer journalism doing that like we're not really taking into the account the, the realities of being queer once that story goes live so you tell the one coming out story of like like an instance that happened recently like on the internet I was like um a friend of ours, I'm not going to say their name, did a story on a, ten, a boy having uh, giving a blowjob to a 10-inch penis. Oh, oh yeah, my God. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Amateur. Yeah. So, yeah. So what was crazy about that is that, like, the story's hilarious and, like, really funny. It broke the site. Stuff, but, like, broke everything uh, on a different site. But that young person's come out and said, like, they're now getting death threats. Their parents are about to disown them. Like, they can't op... They're only 19. And something I've trained my newsroom is that, like, you have to meet with these subjects and really walk them through 
what they're about to do, what's at risk, what's going to happen. Because as we see with straight media, you brought up Daily Beast. Mm -hmm. Straight media world, I've seen it. You take a queer story and you exploit the shit out of it so you get the most clicks. So you let your reporter go on the grinder, out people in the Olympics, and you it's great. But like for us, we know too much what's at stake as creators. Um, and we know that we need to have harder conversations about our own limits. So that's where we've really like centered that newsroom on. Snap. Wow, um, that's and, so and it's hard because like things change a lot. And I try to like have news guidelines where like if someone feels uncomfortable two months later, we can have a conversation about it. We can because I know that the internet, like you do your story once and it feels one way that day, but in two months it may feel something else. And I want the internet to start feeling more like a living, breathing place because that's how it actually operates. Yeah, and you you bring up a really good point about like what it means, like what a safe space can mean to someone who's trying to work through trauma of any kind. I was reading an article about like epigenetic trauma, so like trauma that like is transmitted through like genetics and like indigenous Americans, people who lived through the Holocaust, people who are literally going to to experience the trauma and pass it down to their kids. Um, they, they were talking about how when it comes to trauma, when it comes to things that we experience that are, you know, absolutely going to pass, potentially pass down to our children, that we have like, you know, usually one of two reactions. We either absolutely deny it and we like try to like suppress it and suppress it and press it, suppress it until it like doesn't exist anymore and like will infect us in a, in a negative way a lot later on in our lives. Or we panic, we send off a lot of tweets about it, we go into absolutely like manic disorder about it and um, we just like freak out. And like rarely do, when we, we have trauma, do we allow ourselves to work through it. And to me, like what a lot of safe spaces can do, whether that's online, whether that's physical, whether that's gays sitting down at brunch together, or people who are like, you know, in a Tori Amos like chat, like message board or whatever, like any, any space you want to convene, that is a place where you can work through what you're going through without denying it or suppressing it or ignoring it, or without panicking about it and freaking out about it and creating a lot of anxiety around it. Um, and that, to me, that is the true power for safe spaces in this year when what we went through in terms of the election, in terms of like what the administration is doing, is a trauma that could be passed down to kids um, that we will you know, be in charge of later on in our lives, um, whether it's genetics or otherwise. Um, that, 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 that there's so much that safe spaces can do in 2018 to make sure that what, uh, what the future looks like is something that's a lot brighter than what we're going through now. Um, yeah. yeah. So you're a literal superhero, Zach. No, no. I'm that's just, uh, amazing. Super gay. Super gay. I'm out of wine, so we have to move on to the dessert. Um, I'm almost out of wine. <laughs> For dessert this week, we have uh, a national holiday. It's called Beyonce was on the cover, the September issue of Vogue Thanks. Day. It literally was like I like every single photo on my feed was. Beyonce. It was gorgeous. like it was Beyonce. But it, it like also ushered in like most every major magazine cover for September is a black yeah. woman. Yeah, Rihanna, yeah. Tracy Ellis Ross, Laverne Cox is on Zendaya, um, something Laverne as well. Cox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Laverne is on something. Lupita, Lupita. It's like everyone, some like, unknown model was on something. It was really great. And this, yeah. it should be every month, honestly. But I think when it comes to like the meaning of of Beyonce, um, ah, it was just so, it was so much. And to me, like you know, 
Beyond, you know, there have only been what? Isn't it like six black women on the cover of Vogue or it's something like that? Then, like multiple single times, digits. Like Michelle Obama. Michelle Obama has been on a few times. Rihanna has been a few times. Like Beyonce has been on a few times. But like was they're Lupita very. On one? Lupita was on a few times. Yeah. But like it's a limited number of black women. And that only like, in the past like five years. Yeah, literally yeah. like the prize gems of black women that Anna Wintour lets onto this cover. Yeah. Um. It, so it's amazing. Like for Beyonce to be on is like you're kind of like okay she's been on before whatever the meaning of that. Uh, uh, to me, in like what is uh, supposedly Anna Winter's last issue, but also um, for her to have full control and to be like, we're bringing on a black photographer, the first black photographer in the 126 years of the magazine's history um, to shoot the cover of the magazine. That yeah. to me is the true power of what it actually was. Well, and that's the power of Beyonce because she, I don't know if you guys have seen this yet or if you've read the piece, but it's, it's so good. It, I mean, someone wrote it, but it's in her own words, which someone is totally really, wrote it. It's called, <laughs> in journalism, yeah. we call it an as told an by. As told by. Well, and I, I felt like I learned what an as told by is. because Someone <laughs> asked me to write one a few months ago and I didn't do it like that. But anyway, <laughs> I just wrote a profile because I was like, that's what I understand. Anyway, but it was phenomenal. I was reading this and I was like, oh, this is what this is. Okay, I get it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I write fiction. Anyway, this is the thing. Like, I mean, first of all, look at the cover itself and the image and it's something, I mean, Vogue is always, like, the covers are always arresting and surprising and something that's totally, feels totally different than what they've done. It's not like I'm an expert in Vogue in their covers, but, like, I had never seen anything like it. And I've that was I've never amazing. purchased Vogue outside of the September I've never, issue, I've never purchased Vogue either, but I, I, I see the covers sometimes in my social media, especially if it's someone that I'm particularly interested in. And so that alone was amazing. But then, so just sort of by happenstance, um... I happened to watch, uh, I don't, are you guys familiar with Andre Leon Talley? Okay. As, as you should be. Um, so, you know, the documentary about Andre came out recently. I still haven't seen it yet, but I, <laughs> but I'm about to speak on it. Anyway. In part, in part because I'm not sure where it's playing, but that's also because I haven't looked. <laughs> But I, I do really, really want to see it. And I keep, like, seeing these clips of it and seeing clips of his segment on Oprah that he did on with on OWN, rather, a, f- a few years ago. And there was this one that I watched um, maybe two nights ago where Andre talked about, you know, Vogue had been extraordinary to him. Vogue had been incredible to him. Vogue was formative for Andre. Andre was reading Vogue when Andre was a teenager. And... Um, when Andre was working there, you know, he ascended to, about, I don't remember what his ultimate title was, but he was about as high as you can go without being Anna Wintour. And at some point, Andre was like, I feel like there is a glass ceiling and I've reached that glass ceiling. I'm not going to go any higher than this. And at that point, Andre and Anna had a difficult conversation about Andre's future at Vogue. And Andre and Anna are very close, according to what Andre says. And I'm sure that that's true, but it was interesting because he was like, I felt like part of that had to do with the fact that I was a a black man and that's not, that wasn't really Vogue's milieu for all of these years. And so for me, the idea that it wasn't just a black person on the cover where, you know, Anna Wintour controls everything and makes every decision. It was a black person and it was Beyonce who was on the cover who got to choose the photographer that she used and she chose the first black photographer. She, Beyonce had agency in a space where almost no one ever has agency that isn't Anna Wintour and certainly no other black woman has had agency. And so 
that felt like at the very least in my head as I was reading, watching this video with Andre, like a crack in that glass ceiling. Like maybe Andre had to leave in order for that to sort of happen and the times had to change and the conversations are very different now than they were 10 years ago. But that was really extraordinary to me. And for me, that was um, the impact of it. And the fact that Beyonce has the consciousness where she's like, I'm always trying to create new opportunities and bring Mm -hmm. black artists and black brilliance that isn't just mine into the fold with everything I do. I mean, that's what she did with Warsan Sheer with Lemonade. And that, so she had that space to do it and the opportunity and she had the consciousness to do it and the willingness to do it because she's interested in doing it. And that for me was awesome. I agree with everything you said. And I think like contextually what I was thinking about a lot with the vote, with the Condé Nast kind of the background, I don't know if anyone else works in the media, but like all the drama around this Anna departure has been all what people in media and publishing have been talking about. But like the installation of Edward Enenfold as the editor-in-chief of British Folk, who's a black gay man, and his rise there and like all this love of British Folk lately as Anna's been like kind of struggling. She's like $100 million on the red. Um, and then you have Edward really killing it, putting lots of black women on the cover in Britain. And then you have Beyonce come in and then Beyonce does this. And, and what I thought was so interesting is Anna's first thing she does when the cover comes out is do an exclusive with the business of fashion which i did not know was like a, a legitimate media website yeah and gives <laughs> them a comment and it doesn't give comment to anyone and kind of like takes says that this is all a lie that beyonce didn't have total control that she picked tyler that she really is the one she presented it so you see the struggle happening with anna around girl. she is losing a lot of power and beyonce's like girl why are you so pressed like what's going on <laughs> and on the because does Beyonce do anything if she doesn't have pretty much total control? No, that's the, that's the thing that Wait, I was getting Anna, at. Exactly I'm Anna, Anna. she's a lie that someone will believe. Yeah. She dragged her own husband in an album called Lemonade. Beyonce Girl. is truly a Virgo. A Virgo at yes. all costs. And I will say, like, it is, I, I, I mean, she of... Is the is the person who deserves it, but like she really does have full control. Has notoriously never has not given an interview for like a decade or something like she that. Did, and, yeah. and like yeah. uh, usually when she shoots covers, it's all done in house. So like her, Team Beyonce produces the photos and they send them to the magazine. So like Bitch. I'm still convinced that maybe Beyonce is like a really well done hologram. Like it's, <laughs> it's remember when she did that HBO documentary that was just like I'm Beyonce, I'm yeah. vulnerable, and it's like and she directed. Girl, this is like even more polarizing than like. And anyway. I love that you bring up and so but so funny is Anna gets that comment out and then all of a sudden Parkwood Entertainment, her production group behind all of this, shows a picture of them with Taylor, uh, Tyler Mitchell, the photographer who's 23, first black photographer, them giving him a bottle of very expensive champagne and celebrating his yes. cover, which I thought was like a leak of being like, no girl, we all this did was this. Us. Yeah. We gave you the yep. photos and you ran our photos and thank yeah. you for so much. We're giving you ad sales. And so I don't like, white really woman you. the cover of you're welcome. Okay. Sorry, Beyonce is paying your life bill, Anna. Yeah, it's it's really bad. Um, no. So props to Beyonce. That's you can do whatever the fuck you want. And also, like, yes. I'm sorry when it comes to like being in control, having quote unquote unprecedented control over your story, and quote unquote unprecedented control over your photos. Um, those are protective measures. When you're a black mm-hmm. woman in the media, you are under harsh scrutiny, and um, having that control is protective. So I agree. Do whatever yeah. the fuck you want, Beyonce, to create your own um, safe space. This episode of Food for Thought was made possible by the generous, unequivocal support of Rosé and also our partnership with Into, a new online magazine Woo! about queer news and culture. You should go and read it or head to intomore.com each week for a special little love letter from the thoughts. Um, 
thanks to HBO and the studio at HBO and the amazing producers that like made this Woo! event happen. Um, here at Provincetown for their full uh, gay agenda type takeover of this uh, gay ass little town. Um, and uh, you can listen to Food for Thought at Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are found. Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes where we can infiltrate the lives of America's straight youth. Find us on Twitter and Facebook at Food for Thought Pod and on Instagram as Gay Sluts Who Read or Gay Slut Whore Ad, whichever way you want to read it. Uh, sign up for our newsletter for episode insights, reading lists, and extra delectable content, and uh, send us your questions, thoughts, concerns, and dick pics, which we yes. still get every week. Send! Uh, at thoughts at foodforthoughtpodcast.com and as always, that's food, the number four and thought spelled how T-H-O-T uh, Thanks for joining us, Bye! Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.